these words, that God takes us down roads that we wouldn't choose. So we'll arrive at destinations that we could never get to on our own. And Easter is Jesus going down a road to bring us to a destination that we could never had arrived at, never could have arrived at ourselves. No matter our intellect, our income, no matter our gifting or whatever it happens to be, every single one of us come to the cross with one thing, and that is we are all bankrupt because of a condition that we're going to talk about today. You see, a focus question for Easter, but also for this Sunday, for those of us here and those of us at home, is really rooted in the word trust. And when you can't see everything, because you and I cannot see everything, in spite of what some people think on Facebook or post, they too can't see everything. When you can't see everything, can you trust Jesus with one thing? You see, this is essential for all of our lives, no matter the season we find ourselves in. Like any profound moment, however, Easter starts long before Palm Sunday. And so I want to actually start hundreds of years before we arrive on Palm Sunday. In the First Testament, often called the Old Testament, the children of Israel return from captivity and from the hands of the Babylonians. And they want to know if, everyone say if, they want to know if the years of hardship are over. If you have traveled through these last two years and not found yourself a little bit overwhelmed, I'd like to meet with you. This has been quite a season, and one of the questions we all want to know is, when is it going to be over? And so they too were going through seasons of captivity, wondering if just getting out of Babylonian captivity, if the years of hardship were over. And so they ask a prophet by the name of Zechariah, and he answers their question with a question. Don't you love when somebody does that? But that's what he does here. And so they want to know, are we going to experience something different now that we're no longer in the hands of the Babylonians? And Zechariah answers something actually very profound. He says to them, the real question shouldn't be, is our life going to be different because we're no longer in captivity? The real question should be, is, is the hardness of our hearts, is the hardness of our collected hearts towards God softened? You see, because what the gospel is, is it's not an external thing. It's not all these circumstances change, and then you're free. That's not the gospel. No, the gospel is that Jesus does something on the inside of us that regardless of what changes on the outside, we can truly be free. And so we see this not in the New Testament. We see hints of this all the way through the First Testament as well. And so Zechariah, he is entrusted with details that he stewards. Everyone say stewards that he stewards and then he shares centuries before Jesus would walk on the earth. And by the way, there are about 300 prophecies about the Messiah, about Jesus, and Jesus fulfills every single one of them. Zechariah describes Jesus in these two ways. First, he says that the Messiah is going to come as a king. Only if you think and look like an earthly king, you're going to miss him. And he describes him differently. Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9 says, Hundreds of years before Jesus arrives on the scene, he says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. And I'm sure they are, yes. Then he says, Righteous and salvation is he. Yes. Humble and mounted on a donkey. That's oddly specific. On a colt, the foal 
of a donkey. So Zechariah prophesies that this king is going to come, but if you look in, in, in a way that you usually look and notice and try to see power, you're going to miss it. Jesus is king, but he's going to come in a way that you don't often recognize. And Zechariah also says that he's not only going to be Messiah king, he's also going to be Messiah shepherd. And on that day, the Lord God will save them as the flock of his people, which is this beautiful, tender, shepherding language of pulling things close, not distant and disconnected. For like the jewels of a crown, they shall shine on his land. If there's one thing that even those in the First Testament or the Old Testament knew is that kings are known by their distance from their subjects. This is what kings are. In fact, they have an inner court or an inner circle of people that they trust, and that's it. But not this king. This king will be different. This king will have a heart for all of his people. Zechariah, as a prophet, is obedient. He sees these pictures, and then he shares what God is showing him. Because stewarding well is always embracing a very simple truth. Can I see your hands, please? Has anyone here ever gone through a season where you were overwhelmed? Both hands, both feet. <laughs> yes. When you can't solve everything, oftentimes we just have to start with one thing. And so when we are overwhelmed, being overwhelmed always diminishes in obedience. Taking a step and then another step. But what is true of me is true of you, is true of them. The most challenging step in stewardship starts to change the moment you take an obedient step. And the most difficult step is always the first step, followed by the next step. But there is no next without a first. And this is what we're praying for, for those in our city who don't know Jesus, your grandmas and grandpas and aunts and uncles and moms and dads. We're praying not that God would move, because the story of Easter is that God actually moves, but that their hearts would not be hard to the message of who Jesus is. And so when you can't see everything, can you trust Jesus by stewarding what is in your hands? I want you to pause and reflect for a moment, and I want you to think about what is in your hands. Now, it may not be equal when you look to the person beside you, but what is true of all of us is there are things that Jesus has put into our hands. He has put time. He has put talents. He's put natural abilities, acquired skills. If you've given your heart to Christ, even spiritual gifts, he's given you these things. He's given you resources. He's given you relationships. He's given you opportunity and influence. He's given you other people's text messages or phone numbers that you can text them. And those of us who are in group chats, would you be judicial on those, please, in terms of what you share for the love of everything holy and good? It's a weird thing when you're in a group, chest, you know, group text chat. I don't know why I'm going to go here, but I'm going to go here. But it's a weird, weird thing because there's a social pressure that even though if you're getting inundated, it still somehow feels rude to leave the conversation. I want you to know that in Christ you're free. Leave the conversation, okay? Just leave the conversation. They can always add you later if the Lord wills. Again, hundreds of years earlier, God gives a vision to Zechariah and he stewards it faithfully. He gives oddly specific instructions regarding this Messiah who will look 
and be a king. Sorry, he will be a king, but he won't look necessarily like you think kings should. And he will be a shepherd, not distant or disconnected, but close. And all Zechariah can do is steward what God places into his hands. Now I want you to fast forward a few hundred years. Jesus is walking in Israel. The Messiah is here. He is on the scene and he is doing all those 300 things prophesied about him. And one day he sends two disciples ahead of the other disciples with an unusually specific request. Remember, hundreds of years ago, Zechariah prophesied something. And then there's this moment in Matthew chapter 21, verses 2 to 3, where Jesus sends a few disciples with this specific request. Unusual as it is, but specific. Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. Here's what I think is absolutely extraordinary. That Jesus entrusts an opportunity for a prophecy to be fulfilled into the hands of these disciples. And if you know anything about these disciples, they're just like us disciples. We get lots right and we also get lots wrong. Isn't it an incredible and a remarkable thing that you and I, as Christ followers, steward the opportunity and the privilege and the honor to share not only our story, but to share his story. This is something Jesus entrusts to me and he entrusts to you. And I think Matthew chapter 21, verse 6 is a profound scripture on this Palm Sunday to resonate in for just a moment, to, to reside in for just a moment. Oh, what could be different if you and I embraced this beyond maybe 50% to 90%, if God willing, 100%. The disciples, here's what they did. It says, the disciples went and did as Jesus directed him. Oh, what could be different if we did that as well? The disciples just went and did as Jesus directed him. This is what they did. You see, in the grand story of Jesus being whom he said he was, if this unusually specific request, if this moment is missed, something damaging enters the story of Jesus, it's called reasonable doubt. If Jesus would have fulfilled 298 of the 300 prophetic words about him and left two unfulfilled, reasonable doubt enters the story about who Jesus really was. Because if you know anything about humanity, we will always find what isn't rather than looking towards what is. And Jesus knows this. Yet he entrusts the fulfillment just like he did to Zechariah. He entrusted it into these two disciples' hands. Loved ones, May I freshly remind you that you are not the central character in your story. You are but a supporting character in the story in which you were living. Why do you say that? Because the moment that you gave your life to Jesus, there is a grander central character operating in your story. Here's why this matters. Because what you and I are being asked to steward, it ties into a much bigger story. It doesn't make us the hero of the story. No, 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 that is reserved for Jesus. None of our names are going to be saying through the halls of heaven, only one. But it doesn't mean that we lack significance. It doesn't mean 
that how we live and move and have our being doesn't matter. We as followers of Jesus can tell the story of Jesus or we can tell the story of our fallenness. And each have influential effects on the world in which we live. In a practical sense, I love the simplicity of stewarding what God places into our hands. I am really grateful that I have to steward what God puts into my hands. I don't have to steward what he puts into your hands. That's on you. I love the interdependence that we are a body that none of us, none of us, none of us, again, are the hero of it. One of the things that Jesus seems to be dealing with in the church is celebrity Christianity. Because if there's anything Christianity should ever be synonymous with, it is never celebrity but service and servanthood. God is not turning the church right side down. He's turning it actually right side up because we have it upside down. Zechariah stewards what's in his hands, a picture of the coming Messiah. And the disciples came to and they asked and they obeyed Jesus. Go get a donkey and a colt. And they simply stewarded what was in their hands. So my question for you on this Palm Sunday is, what has Jesus placed into your hands? What are you going to do with it? You know, palm branches were symbols of revolution. A colt was a symbol of victory, even royalty. But of all the symbols that we see, even this week at Easter week, Holy Week, all the symbols that we see of our faith, the central one always remains a cross. Because the story of Palm Sunday is really not a story of Zechariah nor is it the disciples? No, the greatest steward is Jesus himself who stewards everything that the Father places into his hands. So what's the significance of a donkey or a colt being brought to Jesus? Well, of course it is about fulfilling prophecy, yes, and we see that and we've covered that. But I wonder in 2022 if we can heed and hear the words of Zechariah from thousands of years ago. That once again, Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, on the foal of a colt, also gives us a much needed picture of the type of power we as followers of Jesus are to pursue that we as followers of Jesus are to engage, that we as followers of Jesus are to be attracted to. Some of you want the city, you want the country to change, and that is a noble thing. But be careful the power with which you seek to change the nation itself. There are hints in the story about Jesus reframing again what we think power looks like. Is it worldly or is it kingdom? Is it selfish or is it sacrificial love? Palm Sunday, Jesus begins to make his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was a noisy place on a good day. But at the Passover, it was particularly busy and noisy. I want you to think July 1st, pre-pandemic, downtown Ottawa on Canada Day. That busy, that noisy, in actually smaller, confined places. Now I confess, I don't know much about donkeys and colts, but this much I do understand that an unbroken colt could easily be overwhelmed and become unpredictable in any moment. 
And having just a mature donkey move alongside her unbroken colt would be the best way to calm it during noisy entrance into Jerusalem. And here's what's beautiful about the picture. God uses his power not to lord over us, but to serve us. It's the story of Easter. This is precisely how Jesus walks with us. The Spirit is in us, never leaving us or forsaking us. Aren't you glad that when you sin, when you fall short, he remains faithful? And sometimes when you're overwhelmed and you can't see what's next or you can't see what's around the corner, sometimes it's not about getting the answer. It's simply knowing who is with you that causes a peace to fall upon your heart. That though everything could be wrong and there's much that's wrong in the church today that's being addressed, whether it's leadership, whether it's in the pulpit, whether it's in the pew, wherever it happens to be, here's what I know. Jesus is still building his church. He's still present, so I'm okay. I can rest that he's at work. Beloved, when you doubt or when you struggle, when you struggle to steward what God places into your hands, May I encourage you to find a follower of Jesus who's walking with Jesus obediently. Notice I didn't say perfectly. You're never going to find one of those. But find someone who's walking with Jesus obediently and honestly and just walk alongside of them. And you'll be amazed the difference that it can make. So Zechariah, a faithful follower of God, says about the Messiah that he was going to be a king who would ride into Jerusalem in humility and together, let's see this note in Matthew chapter 21, verses 8 to 11. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that, and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna, directly translated again, God save us. We beg you to save us. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And as he, as Jesus entered Jerusalem, it says the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? Ah, that is the question of Easter for every single Canadian to wrestle with. Who is Jesus? And the crowd said this. The crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Two reflections as I read through this story, as I think through the story. We as humans often cry, Hosanna, God, we beg you to save us. Only oftentimes we want to be saved from that which is present in our life, meaning a circumstance. You can imagine for those who were Jewish today, in this day, that they would have been praying for salvation from the Romans, just like if you rewound it, the children of Israel were praying from, for salvation or for freedom from the Babylonians. And we may be praying for freedom from a this or freedom from a that. And that is good and it's noble. But our King Jesus is not only going to free us circumstantially because he has to free us from there's something deeper on the inside that infects each and every one of our lives. It's not just an external thing. It's an internal thing that Jesus needs to do. Jesus was going to set them free from the powers of Rome, only he was going to do it in a way that shocks the world. Because he's a king unlike any other king. And Matthew chapter 21 verse 11 has, I think, a very, very prophetic note for us to pay attention to, in particular in 2022, but probably for all time. 
In regards to the question, who is this? Who is Jesus? I want you to notice something very simple but yet profound. All the crowds said, all the crowds tweeted, all the crowds put out on Facebook, all the crowds posted to Instagram, all the crowds Snapchatted, all the crowds put videos of TikTok. And here's what they said. This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And here's what I want you to know. Beloved, loved ones, be very dangerous in following a crowd who only gives you a half-truth. In one sense, they're absolutely right. Jesus is from Nazareth of Galilee, and Jesus is a prophet, but he's much more than just a prophet. He is priest, he is king, he is the son of God. He is God incarnate. God made flesh. God for us. So beware of a crowd that is loud and has some things that are right, but they are missing the larger picture of who this is. Zechariah said that he was going to be a Messiah king riding into Jerusalem in humility. And on Palm Sunday, we see Jesus doing just that. But it also says that he is going to be a shepherd. And Luke describes it perfectly. That as Jesus comes into Jerusalem and he begins to look at the city, here's what I want you to know in all love. God sees you individually, yes. But God's love is as big as a city. It's as big as a nation. And it's as big as the entire world. For Jesus to fulfill everything that the Father is going to entrust to him touches your life individually, yes. But the story of salvation doesn't stop with you because there's a lost and broken world that is all around us each and every day. One of the things that we have to be careful about is, you know, the whole, it's a beautiful song. I'm not against the song, you know, but, you know, like as, as Jesus is on the cross, like he thought of me. I don't know if he actually specifically thought of you. But what he was doing is fulfilling the will of his father, which means that all things are atoned for, not excused, not erased, or not diminished. They are atoned for, which sweeps all of humanity into a personal relationship with God. See, the story is about him. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 says, in the beginning God. It doesn't say in the beginning you. As much as we wanted to make it about us. So is it personal? Is it individual? Is it touch our very soul and story? Absolutely, yes. But the moment your life is touched by salvation, equally your heart needs to be touched by a greater burden for a lost and broken world that does, ne does not yet know who this is. Because who this is begins to look at the city of Jerusalem and it says that when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. Saying, would that you, even you, he's talking now to a city, he's addressing a city, had known on this day the things that make for peace. And peace is the word shalom here. It's not just like I feel calm. Though it's good to feel calm. You can even download the app if you want. He's talking about the word shalom. Oh, that you would know for the things that cause your soul to be right with the God of the universe. Oh, that you would know that the actual problem isn't just your annoying neighbor who, that you, who you can't stand. That there's something deeper that I need to heal so that there can be shalom between us. 
so that there can be shalom between individuals, there can be shalom between ethnicities, there can be shalom between genders, that there can be shalom between that which ails the world in which we live, which, again, one of the stories isn't that we're the Savior, but it is if we receive the Savior that we are stewards of a grander story than simply just sucking air, making money, and living life. No, we are called to bring life wherever we go. Your story ties into a grander story. Don't you ever say, I'm insignificant. My life doesn't matter. You steward within your hands the greatest story the world has ever known. And one seed or one watering can change the eternal destiny of somebody else's life. And your father entrusts this story into your hands and mine. You may not be significant to the banker or the boss, but you are significant to the God of heaven. Oh, who is this king of glory? He's the Lord, God Almighty, and he is the shepherd who brings us close. You see, Jesus weeps when he looks over the city, not due to his own coming, upcoming rejection, but because our rejection, our hardness of hearts, this thing that has been present since the days of Zechariah and really Genesis chapter 3, our, our rejection of him, when we don't get who this is, it leads to a fracture of shalom, of peace, of unity, of wholeness, because sin, as I've heard it written before, sin is, it's the glory of God not honored. It is the holiness of God not reverenced. It is the greatness of God not admired. It is the power of God not praised, the truth of God not trusted, the wisdom of God not esteemed, the beauty of God not treasured, the goodness of God not savored, the faithfulness of God not enough, the promises of God not believed, the commandments of God not obeyed, the justice of God not respected, the wrath of God not feared, the grace of God not cherished, and the presence of God not prized, which is always the person of Jesus not loved. Yet in spite of all of this, the story of Easter must include the stain of sin. But the story of Easter must never stop at the stain of sin because of the faithfulness of Jesus to steward all the Father placed into his hands, because Jesus trusts the Father by stewarding our path of redemption, we can say with confidence on this Palm Sunday that wherever our love runs shallow, God's love runs greater. God's love runs deepest. And so our prayer today is that you would experience the never-runs-dry love of God. And if you've received or receive afresh this never-runs-dry love of God, well, equally our prayer is for your friends and your family, for your neighbor, for your co-workers who don't yet know who this is, who may have a historical or a religious picture of Jesus, but not the picture of Jesus that they need to see. That they would see him afresh this Easter season. And I don't know, nor do you, but they could be just an invitation away from a life-changing encounter with the person and presence of Jesus. And what an opportunity we all have to steward 
that we can invite them to church on Good Friday at 9 or 10.45 or the same with Easter Sunday. I don't know if it'll be a good service. Well, I mean, I hope it'll be a good service. But what I'm saying here is, I don't know if for them it'll just be another service. Or I don't know if that's the one. I don't know if that Sunday could be the Sunday. I don't know this week the conversation, the call, the text, whatever it happens to be. Because here's the beautiful thing. God ain't limited to a Sunday. I don't know if that next call, that next prayer, whatever, can't be the seed or the watering and in the moment that God brings increase. But here's what I do know. If our lives get all caught and wrapped up in just our story, then we're not going to see that we have been entrusted with a story that is greater than ours. And may we have the confidence in love to invite and to share it with those who need it just as much as we did and just as much as we do.